0: Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Cellist Matthew Barley spoke to me recently about Schoenberg's Nacht* or Transfigured Night, a piece which is so epically challenging and takes the players and listeners on an emotional journey. Journey is a word that comes up a lot in our conversation. However, Matthew speaks about bringing other disciplines of theatre, Electronics Dance and Lighting to present a theatrical version of the work, which will be performed with the Mulliver Ensemble in October. Here is, after a bit of rambling on my part, here is Matthew Barley. Matthew, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Uh, we're here to talk about Schoenberg's Nacht* and an upcoming project you have surrounding this wonderful piece. And I was thinking about when I first encountered this piece. It was about 12 years ago, and I first played it in a semi-professional amateur uh, chamber orchestra um, in Sydney. And I just loved the emotional journey it took me on. I think that's, you know, the main thing about this piece is, is such a journey. It takes you on, it tells the story, as people may or may not know, of a couple walking in the forest. A woman confesses that she's pregnant, not with the baby of her companion right there but with someone else and then there is the forgiveness. The man says that he will love her no matter what. I was just thinking about um, my first encounter with the piece and how much I loved playing it. It provided so much of a technical challenge but also was so incredibly rewarding to be able to tell this story. Tell me when did you first encounter this work? Did you encounter it first as a chamber orchestra piece or as the sextet version?
1: The, the sextet version, in fact, yeah, I've never actually played it in the orchestra, but I I became a little bit obsessed with the piece when I was at college at Guildhall, and uh, we just got together a sextet of, of pretty good players um, to run through it, and I was just I was kind of gripped partly by just how difficult it was. I just couldn't believe how tricky the first cello part was. But also just gripped by, yes, exactly as you said, that emotional journey, which is so thrilling and so engaging
0: throughout. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. It's definitely one that I had to prepare in advance. I remember just thinking, like, what is the best way to get my way around, you know, this virtuosic writing? It's a fantastically difficult piece, but as I mentioned before, so rewarding when you feel like you've kind of come to grips with it and you know obviously we're here to talk about your upcoming performances with the mulliver ensemble you're going to be presenting a theatrical performance in the sextet version that involves lighting dance electronic samplings as well so a lot of interdisciplinary action Tell me about the ideas behind the project, not satisfied just with the sextet version, but to bring in other disciplines as well. The
1: idea came actually post-pandemic. I was very much on that track of, wow, um, we've all had a really hard time. And the aspect of music that is um, about sort of consolation, that ability that music has to really console parts of people who've been suffering, Um, is one of, for me, those most fascinating things about the art form of music, that it can really get deep into people's hearts and it can really change the way people feel. And I think Verkletta Nacht is really, really up there with one of those pieces that does that best. Um, Because of the nature of the journey, because of the nature of the subject matter, because it's about forgiveness and love, two things that we need so much of in the world today, I think, and that the ending just is transcendent. You know, there's something about the ending that just the heart does open there. The other thought that propelled me along in this direction was just remembering a few times I've performed it. And I just thought, mm, it's not quite working. And that comes right from those very few notes. It's almost always placed, because it's a long piece, half hour long. It's very often, I'm maybe not almost always, but it's very often placed at the beginning of the first half or the beginning of the second half which means Mm. that as you play those notes, just seconds or minutes beforehand, the audience have either been shouting in the foyer or drinking gin and tonic or battling on the London Underground or whatever it is. And I thought, you know, by the time we get to the end of Freckle act, that's the atmosphere that I want at the very beginning for those first few notes, which are the, the, the lovers treading through the forest at night. So I thought... It would be fun to try and take the audience on quite a long journey before we begin the piece. And then, of course, you know, as I do occasionally, I just got really carried away with it. And I thought, you know, why don't we commission a piece uh, that's sort of based on and Act in some way. At that point, I was just thinking of some other performer. I wasn't quite sure. You know, at the beginning, my mind was going in all sorts of directions. Might it be a juggler or a fire eater or something? I wanted something yeah. else on stage. But I came down to dance really partly because of the dancer. Um, the dancer, a woman called Ching-Yin Chen from Taiwan. I saw her dance with Akram Khan years ago. And, well, in fact, by way of anecdote, my daughter, who's who's also a very fine dancer, she dances at the Royal Ballet, so it's a very different kind of dance. She came along to this performance and she saw Yi and she said, that's the best dancing I've ever seen in my life. And I thought, wow, if she says that, she must be pretty special. And we approached Ching Ying I I just thought, wow, there's no way she's going to accept to do this because she's so extraordinary. But she did. I was very um, strategic about it. I sent her a couple of videos of of Victoria playing the violin um, and sure enough, it did the trick. She wrote back and said, I'd love to take part. And then it kind of grew from there. And I, I wanted a projection on the back of the concert hall wall, a projection of a full moon, which will slowly rise over 45 minutes and become sort of splendid and big by the end. So, yes, we have a dancer. I've commissioned five short electronic pieces from a very talented young composer, Jasmine Morris, who's a very interesting background. I think her, her mother has been described as a Japanese bjerk. Um, and her father is a recording engineer so she's spent a lot of time growing up in the studio and really understands electronic music and she's created these five amazingly hauntingly beautiful pieces based around each one of the five stanzas of the poem upon which Veclethanax was based Um, and the program has sort of come together with those five electronic pieces which have been choreographed by Joshua Juncker, very talented young choreographer from the Royal Ballet. Um, they act as sort of pillars in this first 45 minutes. And between them, we've got a series of solos, duos, trios, and a quartet from, obviously, the six of us who are playing the Verklair Act. And that'll happen from different parts of the stage. We're gonna have some pretty cool lighting and then Ching Ying will be improvising, dancing, um, sometimes really in and around us as we play those solos, duos, etc. Um, so there'll be quite a lot of interaction. And what I'm aiming to do is to really create a journey, create an atmosphere that is theatrical and really transports the audience to somewhere different so that you know what it's like when you're when you're in a performance that really grabs you. Um, something inside goes very still as you really start to hone your attention. So my dream, my hope is that by the time we get to that point, then the lighting will go pretty normal for a concert. Ching-Ying will go off stage, we'll still have the full moon projected at the back. We just have the sextet at the front and we just play the Schoenberg with no, no special lighting, no dancing, no nothing. So we just deliver the piece sort of naked as it were, but having mm. brought the audience, I hope, to a, to a place where they can really, really hear it from the very first note to the last.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So in that way, it is an experience. It's not just the piece, but it's the whole concept as well. And as we've said the word journey many times before, I do find it quite interesting. It can be a bit of a jarring juxtaposition sometimes when you're listening to something or watching something that's so intense. And then all of a sudden it's like, and the lights go on and, and it's the interval and and you're just sort of like thrust out of it all of a sudden. So that's a really interesting way of just sort of gathering the audience in a way.
1: I mean, it's one of those projects that, of course, it's so new the way we're delivering it that we won't actually know really if it works or how it works until the first night, which is one of the things I find really exciting about this project.
0: You mentioned earlier um, the interaction specifically between you and the dancer coming quite Close yeah. uh, dancing near to where you're playing. Tell me about some of the challenges that might be posed with all this coming together of, of different artists in one space.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges of things like that, especially when you're playing music like Schoenberg, Bach, Janacek, I mean, really, really powerful music. Um, you don't want to detract from it. And I think that's very easy. Um, It's very easy with projections. It's very easy when you add down to the things as well. Because in a sense, you know, this music doesn't need anything extra. Um, So this is why we're going very minimal. At one point, I was thinking stage design. Um, but a good friend of mine, Sally Potter, the film director, she dissuaded me. She just said, you, you don't want to add too much. It gets too complicated. And I was like, yep, she's right, as she always is. <laughs> so we took the stage design away. We're, g- we're going to do all of that just with lighting. Um, it's amazing what you can do with lighting, I think. And with ching when she's improvising with us, you know, she is so extraordinary to watch um, that we'll have to work out that she's very minimal. I think sometimes... You know, I've got a sort of image of her just sort of sitting cross-legged on the floor next to Victoria as Victoria plays Simbach in her amazing costume. And I think things like that will be really good and it'll just serve to sort of knit the whole thing together. So I think, yeah, just by by going very simple, I hope we're going to avoid that dangers of just cluttering the sort of artistic space.
0: Yes, that's true, because you don't want to give too much away too soon. I think you you want to... um, Use what you have to um, suggest more than throw in your face. Very <laughs> much, yes.
1: And, and we <laughs> yeah. do have, you know, those first 45 minutes do have a structure because they're based around these little electronic pieces that follow the structure of the poem. So, in, in a way, we go through the whole structure of of Tarak twice, you know, once with all these different pieces and the electronics, um, and then once with the piece itself. And I've, I've programmed all, all the different pieces um, to always, when possible, relate to the Schoenberg. So, for instance, I've arranged a little Richard Strauss song, um, which is all about forests. So obviously that links with the forests in the poem. Uh, we've got an arrangement of Claire de Lune to just get the moon connection in there. An arrangement of that for two violas, which I think is going to be really fun. Incredibly difficult, um, getting all that <laughs> piano writing for two violas. But I think that'll sound amazing. Um, and then there's a movement of Yellow Czech String Quartet, the, the Intimate Letters, which is filled with that same sort of turn of the century, totally kind of expressionistic, over-the-top romantic love that the Vekletenacht has as well. So I hope we'll make a lot of connections between that first part and the second part.
0: Yeah, it's using all your different methods to paint and overall picture. It certainly sounds challenging though. I know <laughs> Intimate Letters is, is a difficult piece as well but again very rewarding when you come to grips with it. It's a killer isn't it? Yeah. I'm quite curious to know who are you hoping to attract in terms of an audience to these mm. performances?
1: It's a really interesting question There, Obviously is a question I've been asked many times, sometimes by festival directors as I'm sort of trying to persuade them to take a project, sometimes by funders. Every single time I'm asked, I have the same instant reaction inside, which is, I have no idea whoever's going to come. <laughs> and, <laughs> and because there's certainly nobody who it's not for. But if, if I sort of delve into the second layer answer, I suppose what would be wonderful would be to attract a few people who wouldn't be the normal classical chain of music Audience, there may be people out there who are acquainted with the, the visuals of yeast culture, they're doing the projections. Yeast culture have done all of Akram's work, Akram Khan's work, for years. Uh, they've also worked with um, Jamie Culler and with Lithin Sawney, all sorts of people. that are quite astonishing. So maybe that'll bring some audience in. Maybe Ching herself, I would imagine, and um, she has mm. quite a following. So, and the dance audience, so it, it would be wonderful to see a different profile of audience there for sure
0: yeah so the doors are open for anyone wanting to come yeah and that's the thing isn't it it's providing different avenues for accessibility so someone who might be interested in the dance and then in turn discover the music as well or people interested in the chamber music side of things but there's a space for everyone in that sense
1: Exactly. And uh, people are always saying, you know, we do want to attract more young people to these concerts. And part of me goes, well, yeah, but I love old people too. Um, <laughs> and, and I would, you know, I would hate, I would hate to, I, I don't know. I just wonder sometimes what the more elderly public feel like when they're hearing all the time that the classical music industry is desperately trying to persuade young people to come to concerts. You know, these old people, who have been coming to classical concerts all their life. They are the bedrock of our audience. So it would just be nice to kind of honour those on occasion.
0: Yes. The idea that um, old people only want the same thing over and over and over again. You know, they want to go to and see the same things that they've loved their entire lives. But also, there are a lot of older audience members who like being surprised. And I think that's the emphasis that is lacking. Yeah, no, I think that's very true, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, um, it sounds like a really interesting and rewarding journey to be I hope going so, on. yeah. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing your thoughts on the Clerton Art and the surrounding creativity in your project. Thank you very much. That was Matthew Barley. Check out the show notes for details of the upcoming performances with the Mulliver Ensemble. And don't forget to check out thestrad.com, where you'll find the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. If you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. There's 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days. Start reading right away, no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. It will help other people discover this podcast. Thanks for listening. Tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.